Festival of Nature. The UK's largest free celebration of the natural world is back and looking a bit different this year with a brand new programme of activity to help everyone discover new ways to connect with nature this summer, including this podcast. This year's festival is all about nature voices, celebrating and honouring how nature has supported us through the pandemic and the ways we can work together with nature to support our collective recoveries. Welcome to this podcast episode from the Festival of Nature. I'm Ellie Bladen and today I'm joined by Francesca McKenney, researcher at the University of Bristol and the host and creator of the Ways of Listening podcast. Thank you so much for joining me, Francesca. Over the last few days, I've been listening to Ways of Listening and I know it's aimed at children and school-aged people, but I've been enjoying it so much. So I'd just love to hear all about the process behind it. So first of all, for anyone who hasn't heard it yet, could you tell us a little bit about what the podcast is? Yes, so the podcast began some years ago and the whole project began some years ago when I organised a visit to go out to listen to nightingales at Heinen Woods in Gloucestershire with the RSPB. And we invited poets, musicians and scientists to come along and listen to the birds and share their knowledge of this most elusive of singers. And that's really got what got me thinking in terms of how to adapt that for younger people. And I was thinking especially of these old 18th century texts, people like Charlotte Smith, where the format is often that they go out on a walk and they hear some natural historical information about the birds that they're hearing. And they also have beautiful pictures of birds and some quotations from the poets as well. So that's really what got me thinking in terms of how to adapt this for young people and to organise a series of guided walks designed to introduce them to the different ways that scientists, poets and musicians have developed for listening to birdsong. It's such a wonderful resource. I mean, as you just mentioned, in the podcast, you talk about the ways that scientists, artists and musicians have taken inspiration from the natural world. What's your background? Would you give yourself one of those labels? Yes, I'm from a literary critical background and this project was inspired by the research that I've been doing on birdsong in poetry of the 19th century, especially so romantic and Victorian poetry. Um, And my approach in that was itself interdisciplinary. I'm interested in how when you compare um, how scientists, poets and musicians have responded to these sounds, you can start to get, I think, a better idea of what makes your own approach special or unique, what poetry can or cannot do, and how it's different from a piece of music and vice versa. So that's um, my my kind of background and interest, and that's um, what led me to then think about, okay, how do I adapt this for young people and get them thinking about this everyday mystery that's everywhere and that we so often fail to notice. I love that you come at it from such a multidisciplinary approach and that intersection between the arts and the sciences is is really clear in the podcast. So the podcast is wonderful in that it gives young people the ability not just to kind of be in a natural space, but immerse themselves in it and understand more about it. So why do you think it's so important to you so that children engage in nature? Like, Don't children just naturally like nature? I think they do. Um, And I think in some ways, 
there is research to show that that is 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 um, declining, particularly among young people and teenagers, um, especially, and probably as a result of some of the the decline in some of the skills that someone like Darwin or Gilbert White or these great scientists and thinkers of the past would have had in abundance. So they could go on a walk and they would know what species of plant they're looking at and they know what birds they're hearing. And they had those kind of natural historical skills about noticing, observing, recording, identifying what they're seeing and what they're hearing. And that's really essential to scientific curiosity and discovery, really. And although these skills have sadly declined in our own times, they're they're now more important than they have ever been, because really what we're wanting to do is to give young people the tools to notice and respond to the changes that are happening in the environment now. one thing that's wonderful about the podcast is you did really make it feel very like applicable and familiar to the people that you're speaking to so one thing I noticed was that you were including verses from poets that a lot of us might have studied at school like Rossetti and Coleridge but also songs and poems in Scots dialect and in Gaelic and you also used you know the Scots words for birds alongside their English names like craw and crow was it important to you when you set out to make this resource that it would be very much rooted in the language and the dialects of the communities that you were sharing it with? Yes, uh, one of the kind of themes of the podcast, I mean, it's called Ways of Listening, and that's looking at science, music and poetry, but it's also thinking about different cultural perspectives. So the Nightingale is, is, is very much sung about throughout poetry, one of the, the most famous singers but the vast majority of poets in the UK will never have heard one singing because they only sing in these increasingly restricted areas in the south of England. And they would you would never hear a nightingale in Scotland. And one of the points to make there really is that to sing about your own and your write about your, the wildlife in your local area, but also to recognise that there are different kind of cultural perspectives that might shape the way that you hear these sounds and that there will be different local names for birds in different parts of the country. And I think that's something that basically a lot of poetry about birdsong is about the literary canon and canon formation. And Ways of Listening was trying to kind of emphasise that you don't have to be from a particular background or live in a particular part of the country in order to enjoy and write about these sounds, that you can write from your own cultural perspective. You can use the local names in your area. As I was making the podcast, one of the things that I became increasingly aware of is this tendency that we have to kind of turn birds into cultural or even national symbols that are some ways deeply associated with the places they inhabit. So the nightingale might be associated with a particular idea of Englishness in the south of England. Similarly, the corncrake, which increasingly only visits parts of the Scottish Hebrides, has become very, very associated with our culture and our kind of national bird increasingly. But the interesting thing when you think about that is these are migratory birds. 
they they aren't they do not belong to England they do not belong to Scotland and they have no concept of Englishness or Scottishness and I think that's what one of the points that I really took from this process of making the podcast is that these are for all that we kind of load these birds with national significance and cultural meanings and the birds themselves are, are completely unaware of that so do you think we should be incorporating these ideas into the way that we teach children biology, you know, whether that's when they're really little or all the way up to GCSE? Absolutely. When you look back at some of the great, Gilbert White was a poet and naturalist, Darwin read Wordsworth. And I do feel that something's been lost in the over-specialisation from school and also then into university. You know, the great minds are quite multifaceted. And I think that's a big part of their greatness and their originality and their thinking. So I do think it's interesting to think if you draw a bird, what does you get from that and learn about their biology just from concentrating on the physical form of the thing? So how can you use the creative arts in scientific lessons in that way? Uh, you, you used a phrase in the podcast that was really poignant for me, and it was perhaps poets can say something that scientists cannot. And I think that that was so kind of meaningful for me as a scientist, because I think when we tell people about biodiversity declines or the climate crisis, we're probably guilty of often just reeling off devastating statistics. I mean, when you speak to maybe science teachers about this, do you get a bit of a kickback against this idea of joining all the subjects together? Or are people generally quite appreciative of the idea? I think people like the idea. I think there are practical issues for teachers in terms of how their timetable is organised and how they get different departments working together. For me, it tends to be not a kind of philosophical or values problem, more kind of practical issue. And that's something that I increasingly kind of am thinking about and how can you create ways that makes it much easier for teachers to kind of talk to each other and to kind of integrate their lessons. Um, I think that's something something like this um, new GCSE, if that would open up a space for that and for more multidisciplinary approaches to education. But it tends to be, I, I don't think the scientists, in my experience, they haven't kicked back. And they tend to have slightly different questions from, from artists and poets when you talk to them. I think that is the really tricky thing because I know so many scientists who are also artists as well. But it's the problem that our, at the moment our education system is so structured in splitting up those subjects, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, it would just be, I mean, things like a, a, a natural history journal. That's one of the kind of activities in the resource. And that's a really nice opportunity for students to have drawings of, of birds alongside maybe audio recordings or photographs on their mobile phones, as well as written descriptions and those kinds of activities and um, that can kind of let them use different parts of their own skills. Because so many students, you know, as you say, so many scientists are artists as well. And it does feel like we're making them choose in ways that, just seem incredibly reductive. So this podcast can be used either in a classroom setting or, you know, you say that people can use it on their own if they're going for a walk. What kind of feedback have you had about the podcast from children and the teachers who've used it? The best feedback I've had is from the students themselves. There was one student who said that she just 
it's just changed the way she thinks about the natural world. And she sort of said, I find my say, myself saying things like, that beetle has an almost greasy texture. And that's exactly what I wanted to kind of hear from students. That's exactly the kind of thing that we're looking for. That's so wonderful. It makes it all worth it, doesn't it? When you can actually see people really enjoying all the hard work you've put in. Mm-hmm. So if any teachers, parents, guardians, or even young people themselves are listening to this and thinking that they would love to hear the podcast, how do they find it and get involved? The podcast is available on our website, waysoflistening.net. And the website includes the links to the podcast itself and also the worksheets that accompany the resources. And it also includes a video and guide for teachers on how to use the resource in the classroom or any other educational setting. So all the information is on there. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Francesca, for joining me today and telling me all about ways of listening. I hope lots of people listening will check it out and it'll resonate with them. I'm sure it will. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. Remember that we've got lots more content as part of the Festival of Nature. So if this has whet your appetite for learning more about the intersection between nature in the sciences and the arts, do head over to our webpage or our Facebook, Instagram and Twitter pages. We're at Fest of Nature on all of them. And you can find out all about the lovely events, talks and podcasts that we've got going on. Thanks for joining us here today. Until next time. You can check out the rest of Festival of Nature celebrations, including more episodes of this podcast, by heading to www.festivalofnature.org.uk or by following the hashtag FestofNature21. Thanks for listening. Music